Laugh Boston, located here in the bizarre warehouse convention, fuck nothing corporate restaurant district of Boston, where the history goes back tens of years in this area. Uh, to the ancient times when uh, there was only but five professional teams here and not 700. Uh, it's exciting once again to be here in Boston. Uh, uh, normally I go out and walk around in the crowd and talk to everybody before the show, but I got waylaid here in Boston. I couldn't get two inches from the stage before everyone bum-rushed me, so I've learned yet another thing about Boston, uh, that you're orderly. And it's going to be your way. I thought it was going to be my way, and I was going to float freely through the house like a, you know, a little um, cabbage moth just uh, depositing my... Uh, <clears throat> pollen everywhere I went and uh, instead no uh, I, was, I was ganged over there on the corner and it was, it was divine I'm, I'm, I'm awash in gifts here tonight if you're listening out in Proofcast land this is an awesome time uh, if it's the morning and you're listening really really good time to start drinking because it gives you a chance to get a head start on the day you don't want the drink to get ahead of you and buzz maintenance is everything as you know uh, if you're listening overseas guten Abend uh, if you're not listening in Germany whatever um <laughs> Welcome once again as we join hearts and minds and hands and try to find some sort of uh, solace uh, in the vast uh, arid Sufi desert that is civilization here as we know it. Uh, it's exciting to be here. What a lovely spring day here in Boston. It's uh, a little bit like Golgotha. It's very, very Easterish. Uh, I, I know I overuse it, but it is a little bit like the day Christ died. It's just a kind of a driving, pouring, windy rain. Obviously, the gods are angry at Boston, and, uh, and I'm glad to be here for it. Uh, uh, back where I uh, came from in Los Angeles, uh, I don't want to tell you, but it was, you know, 69 with a light breeze. And uh, here it's uh, 69% thousand humidity with uh, a light torrent. Uh, and kind of a biblical overtone to the whole uh, proceedings here. Let's jump right in and look at some of these gifts that I got here because I want to thank you. I'm accused a lot of hating on Boston, mostly because I do. And it's, and it's only because of, I've had some experiences here that uh, have led me to uh, uh, that conclusion. I remember drinking in a bar, I think I've told this story before, near Fenway Park, and a gigantic fellow wearing a socks uh, um, jersey uh, and uh, shorty pants like Charlie Brown. <laughs> And a Boston Red Sox cap that he had on backwards, and he had a Pappy jersey on, uh, was standing there with a core silver bullet in his hand, and every 30 seconds would go, Slots! like that. And I thought, you know, the anti pussy perimeter you're forming around the whole state of Massachusetts is making me hate you, and everyone in New Hampshire as well. Uh, but of course, of, of having come here several times, and, and then now this is my second time at last, and the second time we've done the podcast here, my uh, obsidian heart, uh, which uh, up until now, hitherto, has been an impermeable uh, black edifice, is of course cracking, and uh, tears of joy are pouring through because of the amount of love uh, that everyone gives me here, and I, I'm really sincere when I say that. You'll know when I'm insincere. Uh, a, a gentleman gave me this book by uh, Mr. Edward Benetti. What was your name, sir? John, John gave me this book. It's called A Baker's Dozen. It's a bunch of poems. Evidently, he was friends uh, with your father, was he not? A local poet. He's since passed. Uh, he has a beautiful ribbon here. That'll go on my suitcase. And, uh, oh, no, we keep everything. Thank you. Oh, the, and he signed it and everything. John, do you really want to give me this? This is signed by Mr. Benetti. Yes, I, uh, I and my sister have our own copy. Oh, you have your own copies. Well, look at you. <laughs> so this is regifting, is what it is. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much for this book of poetry. It's lovely. Uh, here we go. Here's one. The party's over. After all the talk and all that conversation is gone dead in the grain of the wood, there's nothing of any absolute that can bring it back. How about that? Uh, not quite the upper poem I was looking for there, but... 
Oh, here's one that's very Boston. Uh, if I had a Boston accent that worked at all, I would do it in the Boston accent. My accent tends to run toward Bobby Kennedy in the 12 Days of October movie. So, but I'll read this without the Boston accent, and you can fill it in later. Uh, for those of you listening outside of the Boston area, you have to understand that uh, many ethnic groups are thrown together here in Boston, and they live side by side in peace and harmony. And... <laughs> This poem, I think, speaks to the heart of that, and it's called Ethnic Clue by Mr. Edward Bonetti. Ethnic Clue. I mind it when guys in a bar say, you greasy guinea prick. Then there's danger. Watch out. I want everyone to know that I did not choose the word guinea. That was in the poem. So don't fucking call me and go, you hate Italian people and shit like that. I don't hate anyone. Oh, who gave me this? Someone gave me Bat Boy of the Giants here. I didn't get to meet this person. Oh, that's What's your name, baby? Kate. Thank you, Kate. That's very sweet of you. It's an old 40s uh, book about uh, a Bat Boy of the Giants by Garth Garreau. Oh, my goodness. There's a little thing in here. Vintage goods, it says. Carmen and ginger vintage goods. You went to a, a used a vintage goods store to get this? The Arcade Providence 65 Way Bosset? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Or is it one of those uh, New England names like Worcester? <laughs> which is spelled Worcester. I, for all I know, Way Bosset is Way Bosset. Uh, and Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, thank you. And uh, Rhode Island is full of guinea pricks, as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> It is, in fact, guinea pig capital of the, uh, of the eastern seaboard here. Uh, if, if you like organized crime, Rhode Island, you'll have such a good time there. Because it's just happening. It's really happening. Uh, thank you very much for this book. It has actual pictures and players from the Giants. Um, I think it's from 40-something. Uh, let me look here. Rockefeller Center. Uh, first printing, May 1949. Uh, the 49 Giants. Mm, not, not a big team, but they had a lot of big sluggers on it. Johnny Mize was on that team, and uh, a lot of good players. Thank you very much for this, uh, Sid Gordon. Uh, I also got a book here, uh, Macaulay's Lays of Ancient Rome. The title is fantastic alone. It's really spelled Lays of Ancient Rome, L-A-Y-S, of Ancient Rome. So uh, as far as I know, it's like a little black book about the ancient empire. Well, let me see if I can find a number here. Oh, here's I-I-I-X-V-I-I-I. Let me see if I call what happens in that one if we get... Uh, uh, what was your name who gave me this book? Was your name John as well? Ben. Ben. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I can't figure out how old this book is, but it's obviously an antique because uh, pages are coming out of it. And uh, the offers Lays of Ancient Rome, Horatius, the Battle of Lake Regillus, Virginia, and the Prophecy of Capis. Uh, somebody say stop. Okay, we'll see if we find anything here. Um, Oh, golly, Horatius. These are notes. Let's go a little bit further because those are notes. Oh, the prophecy of competes. Hurrah for Marias Curious, the bravest son of Rome, thrice in utmost need sent forth, thrice drawn in triumph home. Weave, 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 weave. For, of course, in modern translation, it would be swerve, swerve. For Marias Curious, the third embroidered gown, make ready for the third lofty car and twine the third green crown and yoke the steeds of Rosea with necks like a bended bow and deck the bull, Mavania's bull, the bull as white as snow. They always killed uh, a white bull uh, when they sacrificed uh, uh, to be, get propitious um, uh, events from the gods and whatnot. Horatius, wow. A lay made about the year of the city, CCCLX. Mm. Victoria, and that, that's the goddess Victoria. Sometimes in Greek, uh, I think she's Nike as well, uh, the god of victory, uh, goddess of victory. Uh, funny that victory is a woman <laughs> in a place as sexist as ancient Rome. 
where women were almost always to a person property of their father almost their whole lives uh, and except for the Vestal Virgins who uh, if they were found to not be virgins and they actually experienced a lay of ancient Rome uh, <laughs> They were buried in a building, and that was their execution. They, they put them in a building and, and walled them up. But the Vestal Virgins uh, kept all the legal documents and everyone's will. So when an emperor died, they'd go running to the Vestal Virgins, and the Vestal Virgins would produce the will. Of course, it wasn't in a book. It would be in a scroll and whatnot. Uh, but thank you very much for that, Ben. That was a, it's an exquisite book, and I really appreciate it. Um, open interval. Another fellow gave me three books of poetry. What was your name, sir? John. John. Is everyone in Boston named John and Ben? <laughs> What was my joke about a whole fucking town named Doug? <laughs> Everyone's named John and Ben in the whole goddamn... I love it. All right. Uh, John gave me this book by Ly- Lyra Van Cleef Stefanen. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And uh, Open Interville is the name of the book. That's fantastic. And he's marked a poem here. Uh, 2009. Oh, golly, it's recent. Here's the poem that he marked because it's about actors. And uh, I've, I've been called an actor, but it's not something that I like as a title. I prefer comedian. Sometimes you go on TV and they go, he's an actor, he's a writer, and it's like, eh. <laughs> Actors make you believe shit you don't believe. Comedians just lie to you for your amusement. <laughs> that, that's the difference. If I got up here and went, I'm Abraham Lincoln, by golly, I remember a time. You'd be like, Lincoln didn't speak like that, and you'd be right. <laughs> Lincoln spoke exactly uh, like he did in the movie, uh, like Daniel Day-Lewis. No, I'm joking, of course. It was more like Henry Fonda and young Mr. Lincoln. Uh, The transit of Venus. The actors mill about the party saying rhubarb because other words do not sound like conversation. In the kitchen, always, one who's just discovered beauty, his mouth full of whiskey and strawberries. He practices the texture of her hair with his tongue in her Five billion electrons pop their atoms. Rhubarb in electromagnetic loops. Rhubarb, rhubarb, the din increases. Wow, that was a saucy one. (laughs) He practices the texture of her hair with his tongue in her. Mm. Good words to live by. If you're 14 and listening in a blanket fort right now, (laughs) please don't go run and ask your parents or legal guardian or, or Batman or whoever looks after you. If you're, if you're a ward of Bruce Wayne, don't go running in and said, Greg just said he practiced a tongue in her. Don't ask. Don't ask. You'll find out later what that means. Of course, if you're 14, you've probably already been doing it for five fucking years at this point. <laughs> Give me two other books, too. One by Jericho Brown called Please and another one uh, by Joy, uh, Joyelle McSweeney. Thank you very much for all of your poetry books. I appreciate it, Ben. Thank you. Oh, kittens. There we go. Uh, a young lady gave me this book called Learning to Eat Soup with a Knife by John A. Nagel. Now, what was your name, darling? Mariana. Mariana, thank you so much. Counterinsurgency lessons from Malaya and Vietnam. Mmm. Uh, armies are often accused of preparing to fight with the previous war and learning to eat soup with a knife. Lieutenant Colonel John A. Nagel, a veteran of Operation Desert Storm in the current conflict in Iraq, considers the now crucial question of how armies adapt to changing circumstances during the course of conflicts for which they are initially unprepared. Sure, it sounds funny, but let's dive right in. <laughs> oh, you bought it. You went and bought it. You left the receipt in here. That's what I do all the time. I give my wife presents with fucking uh, price tags on them. Uh, It comes from, uh, it's a quote from uh, T.E. Lawrence. T.E. Lawrence is Lawrence of Arabia. And T.E. Lawrence was a very interesting individual. Uh, First of all, he was uh, pretty wildly closety. Let's put it that way. Uh, He enjoyed his time out in the desert with the Arab army. Uh, They don't really make a, in the movie, they kind of give you hints of it and stuff. Because he says, uh, there's a scene where one of the uh, uh, um, Arabs that he's he's in the army with goes, uh, 
but you're not like the others. And he goes, no, I'm different. Uh, and I think from that, you're supposed to get that he's different. Uh, that's, that's 60s for I'm gay. Uh, or I'm gay when I'm here, and then when I'm back home, whatever. Uh, so he was a hero during the war, and he did lead an Arab revolt, uh, and they did uh, li- liberate the city of Aqaba uh, from the Turks. And uh, he was vital to the, uh, the effort of the, um, the Allied forces during World War I in that theater, and was exceedingly brave, and went from being a lieutenant to, I think, a colonel within the course of the war, then went back to England, didn't really dig it, didn't really dig civilian life, joined the army again under an assumed name, and uh, was friends with uh, uh, the wonderful author uh, who wrote I, Claudius, um, who, Robert Graves. Uh, and evidently they used to pull pranks together. One can but imagine. Uh, Robert Graves wrote a book about World War I called Say Goodbye to All, or Goodbye to all That. Uh, World War I was a gigantic moment uh, in history. And anyway, T.E. Lawrence says in his book, Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and the seven pillars are the tenets of, of Islam. Uh, to make war upon rebellion is messy and slow, like eating soup with a knife. And that's where it comes from here. Oh, my goodness. This is a, a very much uh, a, a manual on counter, counterinsurgency. Uh, counterinsurgency means war. Uh, uh, insurgency is a word that um, giant first world nations use uh, when smaller nations want to do what uh, the giant nations do, which is kick some shit. Uh, and usually insurgency means they want to take back what's theirs. Uh, and counterinsurgency means stopping them from taking back what's theirs in the name of keeping it for us. And uh, so that's uh, what counterinsurgency means. Uh, it quotes Karl von Clausewitz. Clausewitz is the great expert on war, uh, the German who wrote so many things. Uh, in any case, uh, thank you very much for this. It, you, she also said that this person and me were the most influential men in her life. Were you in the armed forces? No. Oh, were you an insurgent of some kind? <laughs> A partisan? Yeah. Rebel? I'm getting rebel. Uh, this one's called Some Old Puritan Love Letters. It's a little bit like the lays of ancient Rome, except less frequent is my guess. What was your name who gave me this? Taylor. Taylor. God, I was hoping it was John. Let's just see what we've got. Oh my goodness. Is that a fold out? No, it's like a little letter that folds out or something. Yeah, look, look, look. Ooh. Margaret Winthrop to her husband, 1627. Yeah. There's nothing like 17th century porn. <laughs> oh dear, harks and alarms, I arrivest. Uh, most dear and loving husband, and by the way, loving is spelled L-O-V-E-I-N-G-E, which I think is something we need to bring back because it makes it more dirty. More dear and loving husband. I cannot express my love to you as I desire in these poor, lifeless lines, but I do heartily wish you to see my heart, how true and faithful it is to you, and how much I do desire to be always with you, to enjoy the sweet comfort of your presence. I think we know what that means. Uh, it, makes me, it makes me to see the want of you and wish myself to be with you, but I desire we may be guided by God in all our ways, who is able to direct us for the best and so I will wait upon him with patience, who is all sufficient for me. That means him, him not God. Uh, and then I bid my good husband good night. Little Samuel thinks it is time. Little Samuel. <laughs> and then it's, there's a footnote, and it says Samuel, her fourth son, now a few months old. Thank goodness we're oriented. 
I bid, I bid my good husband good night. Little Samarwal thinks it is time for me to go to bed, and so I beseech the Lord to keep him in safety and all us here. Farewell, my sweet husband, your obedient wife. <laughs> Ladies? <laughs> Margaret Winthrop. Uh, and obedient is spelled O-B-E-D-I-E-N-T-E. Obediente. <laughs> which negates it completely. Uh, this is fantastic. Uh, Victorian love letters. To Margaret Tyndall Winthrop of Boston, a descendant of the eighth generation of Governor John Winthrop of Massachusetts, this volume is inscribed. In memory of the name she's privileged to bear, which will ever be associated with all that constitutes the grace of Christian womanhood. (laughs) You know, I don't know that much about Christian womanhood, but I know that Catholic girls would do fucking anything. (laughs) Soon as school was out, the skirts went up a little higher, the cigarettes came out. All of a sudden, the music's playing, everything turns purple, and you're upside down. (laughs) I'm all for all womanhood, not just Christian womanhood. Greg enjoyed best. Matt Matt gave me this. It's a a cocktail book on a a drink and tell, a Boston cocktail book by Frederick Yarm. Y-A-R-M. I've never even heard that last name. Oh, oh, oh. What was the name of that one? Here's one called Angry Barista. That's funny. Uh, Armada Where was the one There it is Aztec Conquest (laughs) Now I don't drink a lot of cocktails I tend to just drink vodka flavored with vodka But if you're going to make a drink called Aztec Conquest I've got to know what's in it Uh, Let's see here Uh, One and one half ounce Berkshire Mountain Bourbon Three quarters ounce Listu East India Solera Sherry One half ounce Combier Orange Liqueur One dash Bitterman's Mole Bitters Stir with ice and strain into a rocks glass Twist an orange peel over the top Slaughter a bunch of defenseless Indians (laughs) Build an armada to go around the lake And attack Tenochtitlan ceaselessly Take all of the gold you find and boil it down and then send it back to Spain and ingots and giant treasure ships year after year. And then go back to Spain and try to have a duchy of your own. It's a complicated recipe, but I'm afraid when you're conquering New Spain, you've got to do that. Let's see here. Uh, He created a cocktail for me, and here it is. Vodka-flavored vodka drink. Two ounces vodka. Ooh, a bit light on the vodka. Is this for one person? Or is this for a kid? Two ounces is for a child, right? Here, you have this, you know, and then go to sleep and whatnot. What does it mean when he said he stuck his tongue in so it doesn't mean anything? (laughs) Just be obedient, Samuel. (laughs) Two ounces of vodka, one ounce of Cochi Americano Lillet, two dashes of orange bitters. Combine ingredients in a mixing glass with ice. Stir until thoroughly chilled. You or or the drink? Because you can chill while you're drinking. I mean, while you're stirring. Uh, Strain into a coupe. A coupe? Mm. Or a rocks glass with fresh ice, depending on how diluted you want the drink. I never want it diluted. Garnish with a twist of orange if you have it. Lule Blanc can be used in place of Coche Americano. Uh, Wow, that's really cool. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to try that. Somehow I feel that they won't have Coche Americano bitters here. Or Lule. So I'm going to have to substitute Lule Blanc. Although this bar has a lot of classy items. Uh, so they might have Lille. Anyone ever drink Lille? No, not here. Okay. I forgot we're in Boston. It's like beer, but it doesn't have foam on it, and it's classy. But you can yell socks afterward if you want. <laughs> or... Uh... <laughs> I've made myself hysterical. Or if you want to be a real douchebag, Patriots! <laughs> 
this is a, a Borges book of poetry. This is from Mr. Nicholas Bridges. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, and he's written here, and I love this because I ask people to, when they write me on my email to say hello to the NSA because the NSA, as you know, is gathering all of the information about all of us all the time, and uh, uh, including all of our phone calls, everything that we're doing. Uh, it, it needs to be stopped, and there's a, a lawsuit going on right now that I just read about this morning uh, against the government to get them to quit. Get, they call it bulk information gathering. What we would call it is spying. Uh, if anyone saw John Oliver... Yeah. If anyone saw John Oliver on uh, 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 last week, he had Edward Snowden on the show, and he interviewed him, and he said that um, the government is, is spying down to dick pics, basically. And, uh, and he even gave Snowden a little caution and said, you, you blew some shit out of the water. But I think the general drift was uh, what we've been talking about on the show ever since uh, it all broke down, and, uh, and the brave uh, private Chelsea Manning uh, put this information forward, and Snowden was able to uh, abscond with it, is that we needed to know these things. Because when the government works in secret, every manner of bad things happen. And it's been proven time and time and time again. This isn't a theory that I thought of, like everything else that I talk about. Uh, this is God's fucking truth. Um, we're supposed to have an open and free government and society. It's in the Constitution. Uh, I don't have it on me, but it's in the dressing room and I can remember it. And uh, search and seizure of personal effects is absolutely forbidden by the Constitution. Now, I would consider the contents of my telephone to be personal effects. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, the conversations I have with people, the letters I write, the emails I put out, anything I want to say short of, uh, uh, of threatening people with murder and shit like that. And even that, if you write it in your own notebook, whose fucking business is it if it's a fantasy of yours? You know what I mean? Uh, in any case, uh, he wrote here uh, as a P.S. Because, I, like I say, I, I ask everybody to write the NSA. Uh, P.S. The NSA can truly suck my quill. Because it's a poetry book. I only hope there's an NSA person that's been assigned to podcasts because they're the boredest, saddest NSA official in the whole, listening to the whole show to hear if there's anything seditious. And it's like, really? And then my show, they, they give up after the first three wild boar stories, I think. And this is the poem that he marked here. Oh my goodness. It's a long one. Uh, that was you who yelled. That wasn't it, Nicholas. Um, wow. Well, of course, it's all in Spanish, um, uh, because that's what Borges wrote in, being Argentinian. And he's also, these are his poems, but if you have a chance to read Borges' uh, fiction, it's absolutely superb. I don't think he ever wrote a novel. Uh, if he did, it was a very short novel. He only wrote short stories and gave speeches, which were transcribed and things like that. Uh, Borges is an absolutely fascinating writer, um, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, um, numerous po collections of poems, essays, and fiction. Uh, awarded the degree of letters honoris causa from Columbia and Oxford, various literary awards, the International Publishers Prize that he shared with Beckett in 61, the Jerusalem Prize, and the Alfonso Reyes Prize. Um, this book has been well loved, baby. It is, it's been wet. Uh, I recognize wet pages. There's no mold in it, but it's fantastic. I'll read you the first few lines. Cambridge. New England in the morning, I turn at Craigie. Craigie? I think... Or I have thought that the name Craigie is Scottish and the world Crag is of Celtic origin. I think, or I've already thought, that in the this winter are the former winters of those who've written. That the path is predestined and that we're already made for love or fire. The snow, the morning, and the red walls may be forms of bliss, but I come from other cities where the colors are pale. And where a woman this afternoon will water the plants in her garden. I raise my eyes, lost in ubiquitous blue. Further on are Longfellow's trees and the drowsy, ceaseless river. 
No one in the streets, but it's not a Sunday, not a Monday. The day that grants us the illusion of beginning, not a Tuesday, the day the red planet rules, not a Wednesday, the day of that god of labyrinths who was Odin in the north, not a Thursday, the day that already resigns itself to Sunday, not a Friday, the day governed by the deity who in the forests intertwines lovers' bodies, not a Saturday, it's not in successive time, but in the spectral realms of memory, as in dreams. Behind high doors, there is nothing, not even emptiness, as in dreams. Behind the face that looks at us, there is no one, obverse, without a reverse. One-sided coin, the side of things, that pittance is the boon, tossed to us by hastening time. We are our memory. We are that chimerical museum of shifting shapes, that pile of broken mirrors. That's a beautiful poem. Thank you for giving me this. I'll read your letter later, Nicholas. Uh, And how apt, since we boringly had that episode where we talked about the days of the week for two fucking episodes. (laughs) Now everybody knows that Woden's Day is Wednesday, Thor's Day is Thor Day, Friday, Saturday, whatnot. And two, as I pointed out earlier, the day the red planet rules because two is the the, uh, German god of war. Uh, Thank you so much for that. That was lovely. A young man uh, who gave me a book last year uh, by Bill Lee uh, about a Bill Lee baseball life of Bill Lee the spaceman who pitched for the Boston Red Sox and was one of the more colorful and the Red Sox have had quite a few colorful players I think uh, when you think about Manram and Poppy and uh, 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 George Scott and, and uh, uh, Carly Stremsky and, and, and Louis Tion and uh, uh, Ted Williams uh, you're brimming with uh, colorful players uh, and then you know in the last 30-40 years black players and um, <laughs> But uh, what was your name again? Chris. Chris, thank you. I was going to say Ben, but I knew it wasn't right. (laughs) This one's called Baseball Haiku, uh, so it'll be a much shorter poem. (laughs) Crack of the bat, the outfielder circles under the full moon. (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Chris. It's absolutely magnificent. Whoa! Kittens, can you pick that up? Thank you. I know. Man overboard. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it's going to take a while to go through all this shit. Uh, who gave me this one? This is the Sam Peckinpah book. Mark. Mark, Mark, thank you very much. Sam Peckinpah was a director uh, from the 60s and 70s, mostly, uh, who uh, made what we would call now, not now we wouldn't call them. In those days, they were ultra-violent. Uh, he didn't start making ultra-violent films, but right around, um, I don't know, Major Dundee gets a little violent, then The Wild Bunch is when it really starts to go off the hook. And uh, we've talked about The Wild Bunch on the show before because my father took me to see it when I was 10 years old. It was the first movie I ever saw where a woman gets shot. Uh, that's the kind of sensitive, tame individual Sam Peckinpah was. He's wearing a cowboy hat here with sunglasses and a cigarette because he was a fucking rough dude. Uh, in the movie, uh, they're having a big shootout at the end, The Wild Bunch, right? And they're surrounded and... Uh, um, uh, the girlfriend of William Holden shoots him and he goes, ah, and he turns and goes, bitch, and shoots her. And she's on a fucking pole, like, you know, stuntman pole, and he goes, wham, all the way across the room. And I remember, hi, how are you? Thank you. <laughs> scared the shit out of me just then. <laughs> Melissa Manchester's here tonight. Um, uh, and I'd never seen a woman shot before and I was like, dad, do, they can't kill women in movies, can they? And he's like, ha, <laughs> uh, and then he went on to make uh, uh, the, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia uh, the, the Killer Elite uh, Lots of pictures in the 70s And uh, The Getaway uh, With Steve McQueen and Ali McGraw Where Steve McQueen beats the shit out of Ali McGraw In real life and in the movie uh, 
There is a great scene in it. Oh, I think I've already talked about that. I'm almost sure I have. Well, you, when you bring up Peck and Bob, it brings up so many memories. He's stolen all the money in the getaway, and all the money's in the back seat in a bag. And he pulls up to a hamburger stand, and he goes, I'll have a hamburger and a chocolate shake. And the guy goes, you want fries with that? And Steve McQueen doesn't do anything. He just registers the money in the rearview mirror like that and goes, why not? <laughs> yeah, when you stole all the money. Uh, let's see, somebody say stop. And we'll see where we go. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the Wild Bunch is Sam Peckinpah's first film after more than four years of forced inactivity. And we have to go to where he talks. There we go. Uh, let's see here. What was the original intention? Ooh, wait a minute. We missed it. Okay, the show's gone completely. Here we go. Uh, was The Wild Bunch an expensive film? It, that was a $4 million picture. But if we tried to do it here, it would have been impossible to bring it in for 6 or $7 million because of the extra problem with the sets which are all Mexican. It was a difficult picture because of its size. We had a large cast and an enormous amount of action, um, including at the end, a Gatling gun that kills, I don't know, a couple of hundred people at the end of the movie. I, I'd say that's an action. Everybody's so concerned right now about violence in films. What was your attitude about the violence? Actually, it's an anti-violence film. <laughs> because I use violence as it is. It's ugly, brutalizing, and bloody fucking awful. It's not fun in games and cowboys and Indians. It's a terrible, ugly thing. And yet there's a certain response that you get from it, an excitement, because we're all violent people. We have violence within us. I don't know if you can legislate against it. It's in children, as they bring out in the film. I don't know about violence on television. I object to it because I think it's usually so goddamn dull. They just have a lot of violence for its own sake. It's not motivated. Violence is part of life, and I don't think we can bury our heads in the sand and ignore. It's important to understand it, and the reason people seem to need violence vicariously. We had five million years, you know, of surviving, and I don't see how the species is going to survive without violence. There's a viewpoint. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you very much for that. I'll be reading that in my room later. Uh, we've got a comic book here uh, that a, a very nice couple gave me uh, called... Are you woman enough to survive, bitch planet? I think I am. My dick is sprouting a uterus as we speak. Let's just have a look at this bad girl, shall we? And the cover says, girl gangs, gauged, caged, and enraged. And there's a big fucking fuck you on the front of it. Let's just see what this comic book is about. Oh my goodness, there's pudenda right away. There's breasts and pudenda. Oh my goodness. Count them. What are they? Count the guards, Lizzie. Pass it down. And then a big lesbian. Wow. I had an affair. I drove him to it. It was just so tired. He fell in love. Dawn was young and beautiful and exciting. She was, I wasn't compliant. I was devastated. I made threats. Oh my goodness. And when does the violence come? Here it is. Oh, she's got a knife there. Ah, there we go. Marion, stay low. Shick, Kirk. And then two guys get their ass kicked. Ha <laughs> ha, I know where I've seen you before, girl. Ark, 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 ark. Shh. Damn it. That's the problem with reading comic books on the air. There's a lot of sound effects. Uh, I love ark, 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 ark. That's her standing. You know. Thank you very much for this. It looks really good. Uh, there's nothing like girl gangs. Are you woman enough for bitch planet? Sam Peckinpah wasn't. Now, I have no idea what you've given me here. It's, it's not going to be something illegal that I open up on the stage and then coke flies everywhere. And then the whole audience is disappointed and shit. Like, there wasn't enough for everyone. It's what, baby? Instantly talk with your cat. Ever wondered why your cat uses your computer keyboard as its private chaise lounge? Why don't you just ask it? 
Well, I, I'm going to have to open this up somehow. Uh, it says below, uh, oh, it's mouth spray. You live together. You share the same bed. Isn't it a bit strange that you've never exchanged one word? It's perfectly minty mouth spray. Instantly talk with your cat without the need to take cheap hallucinogens or get really drunk. <laughs> Excerpt from a real letter, it says on the back. Cat got my tongue, not anymore. Thanks to Jesus Had a Sister Productions, I didn't think I could get any closer to my cats. But your spray proved me wrong. Not only is my breath fantastic, so is my communication with Kitty, Smokey Felix, and Socks. <laughs> Who actually prefers to be called Bradley. But how could I have known? <laughs> Thank you for that. Kittens. Look, what the fuck is that? It's meth spray to talk to a cat in. You need more than breath spray. You need a whole body wash. Hey, cool it. We talk all the time, don't we, kittens? Mm, more like you talk and give me voice when you fucking feel like it. If I was going to talk, everyone wouldn't want to hear what I say. Oh, really? Go on. You have the floor now. What would you like to say? That this show so far has been a complete self-indulgement miasma of gift-giving and gift-receiving. What are you, fucking Kris Kringle? Hey, how come your heart is so fucking hard? Because I'm made of cardboard, bitch. Look, I'm going to leave this with you. You need some breath spray, kittens. In fact, you need uh, lungs. Someone bought me a Star Trek tracers. These are generic Star Trek tracers. Jet discs for the tracer gun. I don't have a tracer gun anymore, but if I find one one day, I have the ammo for it. Thank you for that. Who is the person who gave me that? Ben. Who's the person who works in the, vintage, in the uh, record store? Leon. John. <laughs> Lee. It was Lee. Uh, cool in the gang. Uh, Willie DeVille. My wife is going to love this. Live at the Metropole in Berlin. Oh, Lu and it starts with Loop Guru, which is one of my favorites uh, by Willie DeVille. If you don't know who Willie DeVille is, he passed away about five, six years ago. Uh, he was a brilliant uh, rhythm and blues singer, songwriter, uh, great guitar player. Uh, he did every kind of genre. Lots of Latin music, uh, uh, and much blues, and... Um, uh, uh, rock and roll, the whole enchilada, uh, f like uh, Libra and Stoller type 50 stuff. Uh, but Loop Guru is a song he wrote. Uh, he did New Orleans music as well. And he played with all these different individuals um, over his career, um, including Brenda Lee, who he made a record with. He had a hit in the late 70s called, um, uh, well, first he had one called Cadillac Walk, but he had another one. Uh, um, I guess his biggest one is probably Spanish Stroll. Uh, which he sings in sort of a Puerto Rican voice And I thought he was Puerto Rican for a hundred years But his name is Billy Borsi And he's from Connecticut But he went by Willie DeVille And his group was called Mink DeVille And they dressed like the fucking sharks In uh, West Side Story So I thought he was a Puerto Rican guy He had a little pencil thin mustache And a gold tooth And a fucking pompadour And a fucking purple tie And shit like that And he'd go Hey Rosita On stage and shit This was a white guy from Connecticut That was his act for years She's a mixed up shook up girl Got me so strong out I, I don't know what to do She's a mixed up mixed up shook up girl right? And, and he, 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 really, uh, he really threw down But Loop Guru is one that's about fucking voodoo And it has the line, what is it? A rattle made of human teeth uh, Yeah, that one, it's a real lively number And he starts his concert with it 
Uh, yeah, there's some really good songs in there. Oh, there's Spanish Joel. Heart and Soul, Going Over the Hill. Going Over the Hill is pretty wild. Cadillac Walk's good, too. Uh, Boz Skaggs covered Cadillac Walk last year. We might have heard about Willie DeVille in the last couple of years because Tom Waits uh, did a bunch of his albums. William Friedkin uh, used him in a bunch of movies, including Cruisin'. Uh, but then uh, Kill, uh, Killer Joe that came out uh, the year before last. Um, there's a Willie DeVille song in that one as well. And Bob Dylan, when he gave that speech at the Grammys, specifically mentions Willie DeVille and um, what a great singer-songwriter he is and takes out Steely Dan hard. Uh, I read it on the show. He's like, fuck, can you call Steely Dan a fucking rock band? Fuck that shit. They're not rock. And then he goes, who's a better fucking songwriter than Willie DeVille? But Willie DeVille sang in that kind of... Uh that kind of voice, that really groovy rhythm and blues voice. Carmelita is an awesome song by Warren Zevon about being strung out on heroin. And uh, you know that song then? <laughs> with my radio. I can't remember the words. Carmelita, hold me tighter. I believe I'm sinking down. Cause I'm so strung out on heroin on the outskirts of town. Yes, I'm so strung out. If you're willing. So strung out. Uh, yeah, that's a giddy. Uh, wow. I was violently ill once uh, uh, and had food poisoning, and I couldn't get that line out of my head. <laughs> 24 hours I spent lying in a bed going, Carmelita, hold me tighter. Like, till I thought I was going to explode. <laughs> then I got up and had a ginger ale after like 20 hours of not eating, and it felt like eating a roast beef. <laughs> After just being violently ill from both ends for 20 hours, that first sip of ginger ale, I was like, oh my God, this is rich. What is this, gravy? Thank you so much for these, Lee. I really, really can't thank you enough. They're lovely, lovely albums. And the wild card one that you gave me here, Song of a Gypsy by Damon. And Damon uh, has the symbol of man above his name there. He's got the little male symbol. And he's uh, got... a what can only be described as plucked eyebrows. And uh, we look forward to hearing that one. Who is the young lady who gave me the lovely, lovely uh, uh, drawing of the kittens? What, baby? Aubin. Thank you, Aubin. Um, kittens, look. There you are. That doesn't look a goddamn thing like me. Oh, what, are you a critic now and shit? Oh, that one. No, that's nice. <laughs> We'll put that up there with you as well, Kittens. Thank you, that Aubin. That was really tremendous of you. Uh, oh, no, there's more. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, uh, a book about Dorothy Kilgallen. Um, what was your name, young man? Lucas. Lucas? Yes. Thank you, Lucas. Dorothy Kilgallen was a wit, a wag, uh, and some people say was uh, taken out uh, for knowing too much about the Kennedy assassination. There's pictures of her with all her famous friends, Joan Crawford and whatnot. Uh, there she is. Uh, uh, oh my goodness, that is a strange ass picture. <laughs> Thank you very much for this book. That's going to be riveting. Uh, she used to be on um, What's My Line, which is uh, what people call Whose Line Is It Anyway when they can't think of it. <laughs> when, when people are too old to remember or they're too high or whatever, they're like, You're on What's My Line, right? And I'm always like, I am. Five down. Yours. <laughs> Dorothy? Would you like to take a guess? <laughs> Will the mystery guest sign in, please? No, it's Colin Mockery. He can't write his own name. We'll have to just say who it is. Uh, and then, uh, who was the young person who gave me this Ella Fitzgerald album? Carol. Carol, thank you very much, darling. Uh, she said, I hope it's in your taste. Uh, I have a book coming out in May called The Smartest Book in the World, and there's a, a chapter on, on Ella Fitzgerald and making the Great American Songbook, including this album here. So, yes, it is in my taste. It's so fabulous. Thank you. Uh, Nelson Riddle, the second volume of this extraordinary series of recordings. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald 
did an entire, uh, almost all the great songwriters, Jerome Kern, Harold Arlen, George Gershwin, uh, she did uh, Duke Ellington, and Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn went and arranged uh, that album for her. Nelson Riddle did this one, and if you, I've talked about Elephant Show far too much, and I was listening to the episode the other day where uh, I talked about seeing her um, when she was quite old and the crowd went crazy because she wasn't, she went, I'm not comfortable, and the crowd fucking went bananas. Like a, a room full of 80-year-olds were like, can't you see she's not comfortable? And then... <laughs> The security guard came and picked her up and put her ass on the seat. And then she went, that's better. <laughs> but I also saw her when I was uh, 14, and uh, she was fabulous. And sang uh, the theme to Sanford and Son. No. Yes. <laughs> like this. Oh, yes, she fucking did, baby. Ella Fitzgerald was bad to the fucking bone. Also a teenage rock star. Uh, I think she was maybe 15, 16? 16 maybe when she was in her first band? Total teenage rock star. Who made me the uh, ephemeral uh, miniature support moonshot? Yes, me. What is your name? What? Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Uh, I don't know how you found... Did you, like, make your own moonshot pattern? There's no simplicity moonshot pattern. Is there? You found a what? Oh, you found a pattern on the internet? Yeah. For a stuffed munchak? <laughs> oh, for a deer and you adapted it. Right, of course, because it is the barking deer. She's even put the little fangs on it here. <laughs> and on the back, fantastically, it says, support animal. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. And a woman's eyes... How many times, right? People have sang Sarah Smile to you your entire fucking life, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> if you want to be free, all you got to do is say so. When you feel cold, I want you. And when you feel you can't go on, I'll come and hold you. It's you and me forever. <laughs> she also gave me some rolling papers here. I wonder what those are for. And then a little ball of Smirnoff. How nice. How very kind of you. Sarah, that was absolutely lovely of you. The whole thing. Uh, you know, emotional support moonjacks <laughs> are so important. As I said many times on the show, there's been, you know, emotional support pigs. Someone sent me one of an emotional support llama the other day. People have emotional support dogs. You're allowed to bring them anywhere with you. Now I have my own little one that I can carry with me on the plane and no one can throw me out or say anything to me. About it. And um, uh, as you know, an emotional support animal is an animal that comes up to you and says, I support you in everything you do. <laughs> So you say, I'm really upset. Oh, my God, I fucked up. I should have done this. And when I did that, I, I made a bad decision. I, 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 I came to Boston in the spring, and I should have waited till... I should have waited till never when the weather's good. And then the emotional support when Jack comes up. No, you can go to Boston anytime, Greg, because the enormous wave of love and support will erase the bad weather. It's a kind of a brown-nosing emotional support animal. 
We should start the show. We really should. They asked me how long the show was tonight, and I lied. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like an hour, you know. Well, you know, give or take a day. Uh, and shit like that. Uh, Jennifer sent me this today, although some other people had sent it to me before. Uh, where is it? Oh, no, you fucking piece of shit. Oh, I hate you. I don't know if it'll work. Okay, never mind. Yeah, there is no fucking service. And I'm the only one who lets, is allowed to have my phone on and it doesn't work. Well, I'm not allowed to. I, I granted myself the ability to do that. Uh, we'll, read it again. we'll read it in an upcoming episode. There's a movement, and a petition has been given to Obama, uh, to put a woman on the $20 bill and to remove Andrew Jackson. Now, as so often discussed on the show, Andrew Jackson was our seventh and sexiest president. Uh, <laughs> Old Hickory, as he was known. The troops gave him the name because he was an asshole. Uh, he erased the national debt. He hated the gold standard. He detested his vice president. And he moved the Cherokee Nation, part and fucking parcel, thousands of miles off their ancestral homes so that they all died. And uh, he also was a teenage uh, uh, prisoner of war of the British during the Revolution. He's the last president that was in the Revolutionary War that was elected. Um, why is this important? It's not. Um, what's important is that uh, in this article, the, the five women, if I can remember them, uh, uh, I'll, go, I'll go over it in greater detail later, where Eleanor Roosevelt, Harriet Tubman, um, uh, um, Rosa Parks, and uh, Wilma Mankiller. Now, Wilma Mankiller was the first uh, woman who was the chief of, uh, I believe it was the Cherokee Nation. Uh, I, there's a chapter about her in my book as well. Uh, and what, what I wanted to read, though, on, on the article was the comments, because the comments were excoriatingly fucking sexist. I really couldn't believe it. It was just a little, you know, little Internet article on a news thing about different women that should be. And the first one's like, none of these women were president. It's like, really? None of the presidents were fucking president, okay? Um, every one of those women, uh, uh, Wilma Mankeller, uh, uh, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, and Eleanor Roosevelt were more man than any president that's ever been president of the fucking United States. If your idea of someone that should go on a $20 bill has to be an elected official, then you're fucking delusional. Completely delusional. The idea, and they keep trying it every few years. When, uh, there was the Susan B. Anthony dollar years ago. Then there was the Sacagawea dollar. But they keep putting them on coins and shit like that. And someone in the, in the comments, and you know you should never read the comments, but I had to. And then, of course, I, and then of course I was furious and threw the phone across the room. One person wrote, they should put Eleanor Roosevelt on the $500 bill because the hundred's not getting it anymore. And it's true. The way fucking inflation is, you, you see hundreds more than you used to. Uh, when I was little, if someone handed a $100 bill, people would go, I can fucking, I'm going to change for a $100 bill. And uh, now you get 20s from the ATM and it never gives you fives or tens. How come if the machine's so smart, it can't give you a couple fucking ones and a five and some chains and shit like that? But, uh, um, that's probably not a bad idea to put Eleanor on the 500. But who cares if Andrew Jackson is on the 20 or not? Um, it, wouldn't Harriet Tubman say something about our country? The fact that Rosa Parks is the first woman in the history of the United States to be inducted into like the Legion of Honor in this country. She's the first person to lie in state in Washington, Rosa Parks. I'm not fucking kidding. I mean, we're so fucking backwards and sexist and racist in this fucking country. And people, well, you can't get one president in the country. I mean, they never did anything. That was a yeah, they did. Rosa Parks led the civil rights movement. Harriet Tubman brought um, uh, many, many slaves uh, uh, to freedom from the Underground Railroad, including her parents. Uh, yeah. She went back to the plantation where she had escaped from. And if slaves were recalcitrant or reluctant in any way to follow her, she would produce a gun 
and go, you're coming with me or die trying. Um, a lot of people thought she might have been the greatest figure of the 19th century, Harriet Tubman. And if she, someone, uh, uh, I believe a Quaker a minister said about her, if she'd been a white woman, she would be accorded that fame. Um, there's nothing Harriet Tubman didn't do, including spy and guide for the Union forces. Uh, she led Union forces to different places down south because she knew the fucking way to get there that was not on any map and no one else was going to tell them. So um, you can suck my fat clit uh, if you don't... You're not man enough for... You're not woman enough for bitch planet. That's right. On Bitch Planet, it's Elizabeth Cady Stanton and fucking Shirley, Shirley Chisholm's on the five. and Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got this election coming up. And they, t- they tell me Hillary's going to announce, I think, this weekend. All right? They tell me. But uh, uh, so far, we've got Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. And... I don't know if anyone saw Rand Paul on the Today Show, but Savannah Guthrie, who's not exactly the most hard-hitting journalist of all time, asked him some question, and he went, shh. He is going to last about two weeks in a presidential election with that fucking attitude. Oh, God, Jeb Bush. You know what? I want a Mexican. And I think now that Jeb Bush has come forward... Surprise of all surprises. We thought he was a rich, entitled white guy from the East Coast, but it turns out he's Hispanic. Yeah, I know. She's not going to run, baby. She's not going to run. She might. You never know what happens. If elected, I will not serve. Uh, you can write me at uh, uh, fanmail at gmail.com. I do read them all. I write you back sometimes when I get the chance. Uh, this is from Nick in Scotland. Uh, hi, Greg. Hi, Nick. I am a massive fan of you. And your podcast. But despite you being the smartest man in the world, your geography is atrocious. How so, Nick? (laughs) Shetland is in fact in Scotland and not England, as mentioned in your podcast entitled Marlins. Oh, shit. I said, if you go to the island of Shetland off of England, you'll find little ponies that wicker and nicker and are this tall and are very cute. It was all about those wild ponies that saved the Belgian couple from the attack of the wild boar. (laughs) And... uh, this Scottish person is busting me for saying Shetland is in England. Perhaps you made the lazy mistake of using England when you meant Britain or the UK. Yes, I did make that lazy mistake. Um, it was more of a drunken mistake than a lazy mistake. I'm aware that Shetland is above Scotland, as are the Hebrides and Skye uh, and Jura and all the other places where awesome whiskey comes from. Uh, thank you. Oh, no, that was Stuart. Sorry. Nick's got the next one. Uh, that was Stuart Pearson from Glasgow, and he writes, fuck the NSA. Or if you're Glaswegian, fuck the NSA. <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. I appreciate your correction. Uh, the ponies shall never be mixed again. And you don't want to mix ponies because uh, you never mix, never worry. Uh, let's see here. Engstrom mix Vermeer. Oh, oh, right. Engstrom X on uh, Twitter sent me a Vermeer link uh, that you might want to look up. We were talking about Vermeer. I was talking about the movie, The, uh, the Squirrel with the Diamond Earrings. And uh, in, in the, Vermeer, the whole point of Vermeer is that the paintings seem like they're lit from within. If you go on Engstrom X's uh, Twitter feed, you will find that he has got a link, and it's on, um, oh, golly, I think it's boing boing. A guy spent years trying to recreate how Vermeer did the pigment. Uh, I can't even go into it here because it's exceedingly lengthy, but he's a hands-on DIY artist type, and he did a 3D model of an entire room, painted it by hand, and fucking, oh God, it's, it's wild. If you have any interest in Vermeer, please go to that. Nick writes me, we got this little nugget in our mail today. 
because I was talking about having done a corporate gig for Oracle, the giant software company, and said, when I told the story of it, uh, uh, and by the way, I'm a whore. I received a good deal of money for it. <laughs> was years ago. But uh, uh, they, they sell uh, systems to, you know, the, the French Marines. I mean, like, they, they don't deal with you. Oracle deals with giant entities, and they make a lot of money. Uh, and this is what he got in his mail. I presume he works at Oracle. Giving is the heading. Did you know that in FY 2013 and FY 2014, don't you love corporate speak? That's fiscal year for those of you who aren't complete fascist assholes. (laughs) FY. It also means fuck you. (laughs) Oracle. Oracle donated um, US $21 million. That means that this went out internationally. Uh to different places all over the world. Because if you write U.S. in front of the money, that means people in Canada and other countries are having to read this email as well. Because uh, it would otherwise write, if you got an email and it said GB with a pound sign or whatever, or C-A-N dollars or whatever. Um, So here's the point of it. Did you know that in Fuck You 2013 and Fuck You 2014, (laughs) Oracle donated U.S. 21 million in cash to nonprofit organizations around the globe? Read more about the excellent organizations we support. And then Nick chimes in. $20 million over two years. That equates to about 0.1% of Oracle's annual profits and a paltry 0.03% of total revenue. 0.03 is three thousandths, is it? Some perspective. Kroger, which is a grocery chain, uh, I don't think you have it in Massachusetts here, but uh, if you drive southwards, you'll find it. Uh, Kroger, 10.9% of their annual profits. Bank of America, which is out of North Carolina now, is it? But used to be a San Francisco company, uh, 4.8%. And Walmart, and in brackets, he puts an exclamation point, (laughs) which I allow because he writes Walmart of all people. 4.1%. If Oracle had donated as much as Walmart, that shining beacon of philanthropy and enlightened capitalism, it would have given away over 1.6 billion over those same two years. So let's just go back over the numbers ever so briefly. $21 million in two years to nonprofit organizations we support around the globe. If they'd given what Walmart gave, And Walmart, as you know, underpays their employees, is dead against unions. Working there is almost like working to Amazon. You're practically a zombie when you work there. It's a a, a very nasty uh, setup for the workers there. Church! Preach! Thank you. They they try to keep everybody uh, under full time so that they don't have to pay any benefits or or give uh, any kind of medical care. They're very, very tight-fisted with their employees. And all of the heirs to the Walmart fortune, each of them, where there's like four, I think it is, uh, uh, is what, a daughter and three sons, is it, Uh, are all amongst the richest people in this country. Uh, And and even Walmart barfed up 4% of their profits. It would have been $1.6 billion over two years. But hey, we can feel good about Oracle supplying technology to every military in the world and helping the NSA record every one of our phone calls and emails. Oh, yeah, we can. Uh, so well done, Oracle, for giving away basically what would be fucking spare change that fell out of Larry Ellison's fucking pocket that he would have never noticed again. If you want to do something for the world, be Bill Gates. Give away a fucking zillion dollars. Be Warren Buffett and give away all your money before you fucking die. You know what I mean? If you, want to, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, do what every medieval king did and rescind all that shit on your fucking deathbed. I'm very serious when I say this because I've had it really with the rich. I mean, we talk about it every week on the show. And I, I you know, uh, 
there's been douchey uh, white guy 29 year olds who've in the past said to me how come you always have to talk about fucking the inequity between the rich and the poor because there's nothing else there's nothing else. We're living with it every goddamn day of our lives. The reason why there's potholes in the fucking room... Okay, for instance. Well, how do you mean, Greg? Two days ago, day before yesterday, there was a blackout during a press conference at the White House. Do you think other countries in the world look at that and go, fucking America's a shining beacon of democracy? Man, they've really got this shit together. What an awesome infrastructure. They really are number one. Look how they spend their money. They, they, what they've done is they've made America an unassailable fucking paragon of, of forward-thinking and progressive thought. There's hardly any starving people in America. Everyone has health care. And the lights never go out during a press conference at the fucking White House. We're supposed to be the world's policemen and the leading light of democracy in the world. And the lights went out during a fucking press conference because we're a second world nation with shitty infrastructure because no fucking corporations and no billionaires pay their share of taxes. I'm not even asking for them to give their money away. Be the tight-fisted asshole that you are or whatever. The reason anyone of any of these corporations gives any money away goes all the way back to when John J. Rockefeller uh, had a standard oil of Ohio, right? And in 1909, there was a miner strike in Ludlow, Colorado, and they sent in strike breakers and scabs, and they massacred a bunch of women and children in Ludlow, Colorado. Well, it was such a shitstorm that Standard had to do something. So they hired a PR person named Ivy Lee, and Ivy Lee is the person who decided that corporations could have a good name if they threw the public a fucking bone every once in a while. So the next thing you know, um, uh, the Rockefellers bought the University of Chicago. They started buying museums. They started buying national parks and donating them. And now when you turn on the TV, they're like, this program is made possible by the giant monolithic oil corporation throwing you an English program so that you don't burn their shit to the ground, as my friend Warren used to say. Occasionally throwing you something you want to watch. I mean, do you wonder why PBS never shows anything of vast, fucking, shocking, edgy import? It's because they're completely funded by oil companies and fucking Intel companies. And when you see uh, uh, the companies that give the support to PBS, because they go, we couldn't do it without viewer support. Yeah, they fucking could. <laughs> How much do you think Oracle could, could give uh, NPR and PBS to keep them on the air for 30 fucking years? Um, you may remember when uh, uh, Ray Kroc died, his wife, uh, was Shirley was it? Uh, Ray Kroc owned McDonald's Corporation. Gave all, uh, a shitload of money to fucking NPR. I mean, it can be done. There are rich people whose heart is not a fucking charred briquette full of hatred and pain. And I'm not talking about the Koch brothers who give money so that they can frack everywhere or, or the billionaires that give money so that they can just fucking uh, pump water into the ground and destroy the environment or the companies that want to cover up like British Petroleum. They made this giant settlement of a couple hundred million and maybe close to a billion or whatever. And they never stopped whining about it. There were fucking full page ads in the Wall Street Journal and the USA Today. We've paid our share. All these other people who are claiming they need money or frivolous claims. You know what's frivolous? Killing a bunch of people on an oil platform out of negligence and then not taking responsibility for it and destroying an entire ecosystem and the livelihood of all the people along the Gulf who live in the southern most depressed part of the United States. Tony Hayward, who was the CEO uh, of uh, uh, British Petroleum at the time, do you remember? In the middle of it, he went, I want my life back. Really? What about the dead people? You think they want their fucking life back too? I mean, this is where they're coming from. You have to understand. So uh, this kind of shit just makes my fucking head flip off uh, when, I, when I read about it. Uh, I'm not even saying that, uh, that the corporations should have to give money, which they should, 
to support the infrastructure of this country. They don't pay social security tax and they don't pay their fucking income tax. And they do offshore banking and we let them get away with it. And that's the first thing. I was reading Michael Moore's platform if he ran for president last week on the show. And the first thing he said he'd do was make them pay their fucking fair share. Believe me, it would change everything in this country. All of a sudden, schools wouldn't run out of money. Right? Uh, wh wh which district did I read about? Uh, uh, what was it, Kansas? Kansas is pulling up, uh, was it three weeks short? Because they ran out of money for their school system. The governor of Kansas, Sam Brownback, is a dyed-in-the-wool fucking fiscal conservative trickle-down voodoo economic asshole. And he thinks that kind of shit works. It doesn't. It works for the rich. It doesn't work for children. Now, say you were seven right now and you were enjoying a drink here with us. <laughs> I'd give you the two ounce, what is it? Yeah, the two ounce. The vodka flavor vodka drink. How are your parents supposed to deal with you being done with school three weeks early? What are they supposed to do? Hire a fucking full-time babysitter for three weeks? Are they supposed to not work and look after you? And what about your education? Don't you, as a child, deserve an education? Oh, education's not, healthcare's not a right education. Why? Why aren't education and healthcare rights? Why? Because corporations don't pay their fair share of taxes. That's why. And that's why you keep hearing that healthcare is not a right. You're fucking A, right, it's a right. And the right to an education is everyone's right. Um, what would solve the problem of violence and inequity in this country? The problems of ignorance and sexism, ageism, misogyny, uh, uh, misanthropy, the, the, the distrust that we all have uh, for other groups that are unlike us. And, and the, the gun-toting psychopaths that run around with hoods on and the people who burn crosses and all the hate groups. And by the way, when you want to talk about terror in this country, uh, there's more homegrown terrorist groups than anything else. And they're almost all white supremacist fucking groups. And you can go online and look this up. I'm not making it up. They wouldn't exist if there was more education. It's really that simple. If from the age of five, you were integrated into classrooms with people from different cultures and taught about different things. When I bring up things like, uh, uh, for instance, t a couple years ago, I read Carl Sandburg's poem, Chicago, in the city of Chicago. And I was, going, I was not going to read it because I thought, surely everyone in the room has heard this poem since they were a little child and no one had heard it. I was in Norway. And Norway is one of the enlightened Scandinavian nations, but not quite as enlightened as Denmark, Sweden, and uh, Finland, where the education system amazing. And I talked about Edvard Munch, uh, the, uh, the fabulous painter uh, and artist, uh, and, and I went to the Munch Museum. And the cat who put the show on was a wealthy dude. Uh, he was a young kind of, you know, well-to-do Norwegian guy. He put on comedy shows and shit, and he liked to have American and English comics come over. When the show was over, he went, I didn't know any of that about Edvard Munch. And I'm like, he's the most famous fucking artist of Norway. It, Henrik Ibsen and Edvard Munch are the two most famous Norwegian artists of all time. And it's like, you just think, it would really help. That's all I'm saying. And I don't mean everyone should have a classical education where they know about Shakespeare. That's not what's important. I just mean, we all should be able to write and express ourselves on the written page. We all should be able to speak and, and express ourselves verbally with one another in a clear and concise manner. But you can't, Greg. I know, but we should. <laughs> And you should know a little bit about history, like slavery uh, in this country, and the fact that slavery still exists, and the fact that the reasons they taught you why the Civil War was fought are all fucking lies. The, re the reasons why they taught you the Revolutionary War was fought were all lies. Uh, almost everything you were ever taught in school, Columbus didn't discover America. There were millions of people in America. <laughs> what the fuck did he discover? 
he came and he enslaved the people of the Caribbean. He wiped out the fucking people on the islands. And, and they've never, ever really recovered from it. The Caribbean is still in a terrible third world state because of what the European nations did because of the slave trade in rum. But you never are taught that in school. You're never taught that the real reason why anyone got to the New World from Europe was because they knew that if they got to the Orient, they could get the spices they needed to go back to Europe and rip people off for the fucking spice money. Boom, they ran into America and they thought, oh, fuck, look, there's a continent full of fucking Indians. Let's take their shit and ruin their fucking world. And of course, it's the most cataclysmic moment in the history of mankind when the East meets the West. Now, you can go even further and say that there's almost certain proof that Africans had been over way before the Europeans. And you can go back even further and say that maybe even the Egyptians had been over. And you can go back uh, to the Middle Ages and say that there was a Chinese fleet that went around the world in the uh, 15th century that almost certainly visited Africa and South America and all over the fucking place. But white people history doesn't include all of those things in it. Um, and that's what I would like to see. Um, uh, fully funded education for everyone. So that, and I mean higher education as well. Not just 1 through 12, but college. College for everyone. Why shouldn't everyone have the opportunity? I, I really get tired of hearing uh, that it's a level playing field and that if everyone works hard enough, they can achieve what they want. No. The system is set up to prevent that from happening. And every one of you in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us enjoy comfortable lives, myself included. Um, but it's not because the system was set up that anyone who's really you know, strives and achieves can make it. That's not why the system's set up this way. The system's set up so that the billionaires can keep their fucking money and everyone else can suck a massive fucking man bag. When bridges fall over, when rivers overflow, when power goes out, when the, uh, you guys were here, how, how many years ago it was when the grid on the entire East Coast went down? What was that, like seven years ago? Ten years ago, was it? The whole grid on the East Coast went down for what, like two days? This is America. What the fuck? You know, when, other, when it happens in other countries, when you see something on the news and they're like, in Bangladesh, a bunch of villages got blown over by a thing. You're like, eh, those fucking people. They love their children as much as you, and their culture is older than ours, and they're much wiser than we are in a million different fucking ways. Um, if we were really wise and really wanted to lead the world and guide everyone, we'd stop spending all of the money on war, which is what we do. All companies that make armaments, all companies that support the companies that make armaments, everything in the U.S. government uh, that has to do with the military is farmed out and subsidized. And uh, uh, and and uh, what do they? You know, when they pay someone else to do it, it's not even Americans anymore. No American. Uh, and if there's people here in the armed forces, you'll know what I'm talking about. Americans don't do KP or anything like that or serve the food anymore. All that shit's subsidized uh, by us, 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 us. So when you pay your tax money. And we do pay our tax money because we're forced to pay our taxes. Because if you don't pay your taxes, a guy is going to come to your house with a big fucking red stick and whop you upside the head with it. Uh, that's where our money goes. So I feel I have every right to whine about this till the end of fucking time. Um, I don't mind at all paying for everyone's health care. I really don't. But um, there's people in L.A., and I've heard them say it. I know a rich person in L.A. who said this. Why should I have to pay for other people's education? Um, because you're a human being. If you have a lot of money and you're required to pay this much in taxes and know that some of that goes to children's welfare, doesn't that make you happy instead of being the cringing fucking Scrooge McDuck sitting on a giant bag with a dollar sign on it that you are? Is there nothing in your life? Did no one see the movie Christmas Carol ever? No one's ever heard? 
At the end, Scrooge is happy. Why? Because he's giving all his money away. That's why Scrooge is happy. Remember the whole first three quarters of the story? He's wildly unhappy because every moment of his life he made a decision of mammon over fucking love. And at the end, when he discovers that love's more important than money, then he becomes a person at the end. And he saves himself, right? And he kept Christmas better than any person in the good old fucking blah, 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 says Dickens and all that. And every year when you watch it, you cry because every year I think the same thing. Why can't they show this at the conference in Switzerland every year? Why can't they show this at the Pentagon why can't they? Yeah, fucking A. Why can't they show this at the United Nations? Why can't they show this when the interlocking boards of directors meet? Uh, and show when, when uh, Christmas, a present pulls his cloak apart and goes, and the two starving children are hanging on to him, and he goes, this is ignorance and want. And this is the worst things in the world, and you can cure them with many. No one ever thinks about that. There should be comedy at some point, but I'm not certain. Not bloody likely. I liked it. I know you did. I thought it sucked. I know. <laughs> Pussy. Uh, this was sent to me, and I couldn't find their name, but in time for it. Thank you, the person who sent it to me in the email. It's an article from Upworthy. Uh, normally, I don't go to Upworthy for my facts, but this happened to be a very a good article. So here we go. Uh, when one stadium announced LGB... The way they write this. They bury the lead and everything. They write it so that you'll keep going down to the crappy videos. And that's how Upworthy works, as you know. It's, it, it's, it's sort of like BuzzFeed if, the, if BuzzFeed had more of an ego about itself. Uh, I'm going to cut to the chase here. I'm not going to bury the lead. Irene Dolan, who is dating Oakland Athletics pitcher Sean Doolittle, wasn't about to let the negativity of others uh, keep the team from having a successful LGBT Pride Night. So she offered to buy tickets from the angered fans. They have an LGBT Pride Night at Oakland, or they're trying to have their first one. And... Um, a bunch of people tweeted, and these are the things they tweeted. Uh, they characterized it as offensive, ignorant, and homophobic responses on Twitter and Facebook. Here are a couple of them. Are the players going to prance from base to base? No. Is the starting pitcher going to literally throw like a girl on purpose? Is the team going to have rainbow-themed uniforms? Really? That misunderstands everything about LGBT uh, in one quick sentence. But we'll get to that. Uh, parents, please note this is not a game you want to take your kids to. Why? Do you think lesbian, uh, gay, uh, bisexual, and transgendered people are going to attack your children and force them to have a better fucking haircut than the one you gave them? <laughs> the one thing you wouldn't want to expose your children to is other lifestyles, other ways of being. You wouldn't ever want them to expand their mind and open their heart to include everyone, would you? You'd never want that. You'd want them to be rigidly one way so that they know that there's only one way of being normal and that's to be a straight, white, heterosexual person. And anyone who's not white or straight or heterosexual is not normal. Isn't that what the truth is and shit? Um, I'm so fucking sick of it. I could just fucking um, plots. <laughs> and then here's the other one. What other fetishes are we going to recognize at ball games? How about the one that you weigh 350 pounds and wear a fucking baseball uniform to the game? How about that fetish? You fat fuck. Greg, you were just fat shaming there. You fat shamed. That wasn't cool, Greg. I just called myself on it. Uh, here we go. Anyway, this is what she wrote, uh, Ariane Dolan. Uh, if attending a baseball game on LGBT Pride Night makes you at all uncomfortable, it's a good idea to sell your tickets. And I have the perfect buyer, me. Uh, let's see. So she bought all the fans. If you'd like to sell your tickets, I will donate 
any tickets I purchase to the Barrier Youth Center's Our Space community for LGBTQ youth. Her plan was a hit. It was so successful she started a GoFundMe page to raise money for additional tickets for the Youth Community Center. Dolan and Doolittle agreed to match all donations up to three grand. In less than a day, they'd already exceeded six grand. She also provided a bit of an explanation of why this issue is so dear to her, her mom, or rather moms. Many people don't know this about me, but I have two moms. My biological mom, Kathy, and her partner, Elise, who grew up in the Bay Area, are both diehard Ace fans as well as super gay. Like they're so gay for each other. (laughs) Super gay. As opposed to just mildly gay. (laughs) Just put it in a little way. May I have another vodka-flavored vodka drink if anyone's still speaking to me? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, like they're so gay for each other they fostered a long term relationship likely no different from any heterosexual loving relationships you've seen or been a part of this is the A's first pride game other teams have been doing it the Cubs pride game dates back to 2001 the team's been really involved in the city's LGBT community the San Francisco Giants my beloved team have had LGBT uh, LGBT games for more than a decade we also have an AIDS uh, benefit day and a women's breast cancer day in San Francisco Last year, Major League Baseball hired their first ambassador for inclusion, former player Billy Bean, who's openly gay. He was a, a player and he uh, was an administrator in the um, A's organization. Uh, but going back ever so briefly to talk about uh, gay players, there are no open uh, baseball players that are openly gay right now. Not like Jason Williams or anything like that. But the high five that you're also familiar with, uh, when I was a little kid, we gave each other... Thank you, my darling. Oh, hi. How are you? <laughs> Uh, we gave each other 10, right? We went like this. We, you'll see it in the old movies if you watch Bad News Bears. <laughs> we went like that with each other. Or five, right? Five, like that. Or just skin, like this, like that, like that, right? There was a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, Dusty Baker, who is a, a current manager in Major League Baseball, also played uh, a long time on the Braves, uh, Giants, Dodgers, and A's. Um, Dodgers, Giants, and A's, rather. Uh, and managed the Reds, the Cubs... Uh, <laughs> yeah, infamously, the Cubs uh, and the Giants, uh, and manage Barry Bonds for that matter, uh, hit a home run. And Glenn Burke, who was a guy who was a kind of a part-timer with the Los Angeles Dodgers, Glenn Burke was a stud and a really good-looking. And after the game, all the guys would go, hey, we're going to go look for pussy and shit. And Glenn would go, all right, have a good time. And he'd always go off by himself because he was queer. And he would go into town and have gay assignations and whatnot. Well, Glenn Burke eventually, I mean... Uh, Am I getting his name right? Yeah, it was. Yes. Uh, came up to Dusty Baker and went like this. Bam! And that's who invented the high five. So it was a homosexual who introduced the high five to baseball. And I guarantee you there are gay baseball players. I guarantee you there are gays in every walk of life. Uh, I have people say to me when I go to different towns, oh, we don't have any queers here. It's like, oh, really? I love when people don't think there's any queers or that they don't know any. That's my other favorite one. Well, I don't know any gays. Really? You're you're not asking around enough. I bet you do, you little rascal. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, There's not an active out LBGBTQ player. It's great to see MLB taking strong steps to make... Sure, LGBTQ people are welcome both on the field and off. Uh, Jennifer gave me this, and a guy named Morgoth on Twitter uh, tweeted it to me today. It's from a site called Vanyaland.com. Tony, are you awake? The city of Boston will declare Thursday, April 9th as Riot Girl Day in honor of Kathleen Hanna's discussion. 
Well, here's Charlie. This is the song Rebel Girl. Kathleen was in a yeah. <laughs> Kathleen was in Bikini Kill, and she's in another group now called uh, oh, Judith. Uh, Julie Ruin. Julie Ruin, thank you. I almost called them Judith Lion. <laughs> Judith Ruin. Uh, here's the proclamation from the mayor of Boston, and well done, the mayor of Boston. Mighty Walsh. Yeah. <laughs> Formerly known as Diamond Joe Quimby. <laughs> no, Mayor Walsh is nice. He's a supporter of arts across the spectrum, believing in the impact that creativity can have on a life and on a community. Mm. Quite right. You're missing the show because it's tonight, but she's giving a talk tonight. Uh, she's, she's had a terrible Lyme disease, so she hasn't been playing a lot lately, but she's got a new group. She's married to Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys, who are a particular favorite of mine as well. Um, Riot Girl Day, and this is uh, what Mayor Walsh proclaimed, because, and this is, this is the actual proclamation, Boston, it says, the riot girls rose up in the early 1990s like a formidable wave. The third wave, in fact, with one combat boot on the shoulders of Patty and Susie, the other combat boot on the shoulders of Gloria and Angela. Because girls still crave art and records and books and fanzines that speak to them because they deserve to feel included. Because riot girls claim the stage for themselves, demanding girls to the front. I've talked about it before on the show. The problem I have with a lot of male rock is that there's too many guys with their shirts off standing in front of the stage hogging it up, and that the whole Riot Girl movement and the whole girl in the front thing is about getting guys out from in front of the fucking stage and getting women to the front of the stage where they can have some fun too. Riot Girls gave girls a voice, creating their own forms of media that mattered and inspired girls everywhere. Riot Girl philosophies never felt more relevant, with misogyny still rampant in many cultural spheres. That's putting it mildly. In 2015, a woman cannot safely assume that her legal right to her own reproductive health will go unchallenged, and so many public and private policies continue to silence female survivors of violence. Um, You may have noticed in the last couple of years there's been dozens and dozens and dozens of bills introduced in every state to keep women from having the right to do what they want with their own body. Uh, This is going unchallenged uh, by the federal government who have been limp fucking dicks about this shit. um, there's a, 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 a people threaten abortion clinics. I've been reading about you, the ones about you in Louisiana and Mississippi the last few weeks. We've been discussing that. Um, it's a very serious fucking issue. The most serious issue. Do you saying abortion is more serious issue than everything? No. As I've said on the show a million times, when women are treated equally and women's health care and abortion is part of women's health care, and when they are treated equally and fairly, then everything else will fall in line. When you treat women like shit, it turns the world into shit. That's why it's the most important issue. And I'm not talking about your mother, your sister, your, your daughter, your girlfriend, your wife, or whatever. I'm talking about you, buddy. Have some empathy. Have some empathy. Pretend in your tiny male mind for two seconds that you don't have a dick. Which is easy to do when you're wearing her clothes and she's not at home. And you're doing the Glenn Burke high five with yourself. Uh, women in India in the rural areas can't go to the toilets that are outside of town alone without getting raped. 
the woman who won the Nobel Peace Prize, the young lady who won the Nobel Peace Prize last year, was shot in the face because she wanted to go to school. Um, misogyny can't be overemphasized uh, as the number one problem that faces the world all the time. But what about the poverty and all that shit you were talking about before? The bulk of pe- poor people in the world are women and children, obviously, obviously, because men don't do shit. Uh, men, th- this is what men do. If, you, if you're on a bus or Men have a lot to fucking answer for. And don't give me the, but I'm an enlightened male. I am too. We all need to evolve. All the fucking time, baby. We all need to evolve. And, and don't, don't start with me on the, well, but slavery happened before I was born. How am I responsible for it? Because the history of this nation is the bondage and servitude of women and minorities. That's what this nation was built on. That's how Boston was built. That's how New York City was built. The White House was built by slaves. That's the irony of having a black president. No one gets that, okay? Uh, it's a, I, I just get so tired of like, well, that happened before me, so it's not my response. <laughs> and please don't bring fictional characters like Jesus into the argument. If, if, you, get, if you get to bring Jesus in, then I get to bring Daffy Duck in and Deputy Dog and, you know... Who's the princess from Frozen? What's her name? Elsa. Which one is it? Elsa. 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 The one with them. <laughs> then I get to bring Elsa in. Uh, a $10 bikini kill record isn't worth $7.70. Get it? And a woman today should not make 23% less, per, tw- 23% less than a man. Riot girls redefine the language used against them and continue to fight the newest incarnations of patriarchy. In doing so, they ironically confirm one ex-congressman's accidental wisdom. The female body has its ways to, shut that, to try to shut that down. You may remember. That was from the last election when team rape uh, on the Republican side, uh, 10 different. Uh, it was Representative Todd Aiken from Missouri. I'd like to be very fucking clear about who said that. Uh, and when men say things like that, well, rape's not rape. No, stop it. Uh, and, and I've promised my wife to stop even using the word as a trigger word because it's so horrible. Because the, the horrible truth is lots and lots of people have been violated at different times in their life. And it's a very emotional issue. And to bandy it around in a kind of cavalier way is highly insensitive. But the PC police are taking, as I said before, there are no PC police. It's common fucking human decency to not call people guinea pricks. <laughs> Unless it's a poem, then it's funny. Uh, it sure does. Women's voices telling their stories can't shut that down. One young woman can't be what they can't see. Girls need to see each other picking up drumsticks, bases, and microphones. They need to see other girls picking up paintbrushes and pens and telling their stories loudly. Which brings me to something that I said last week on the show. I was talking about that I wanted there to be women baseball players in professional baseball because the NFL is going to have a woman uh, uh, official next season. The NFL is one of the most horrible organizations in the world, as you know. It's run solely by rich billionaire white guys. And they don't care about the physical safety of their employees. They don't care about the women that the employees beat up. They don't really care about anything except profit and growth. But 
Um, I said that women couldn't be professional football players because blah, blah, blah. It just kind of casually came out of my mouth. And then afterward, my wife was like, that was pretty surprising. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Um, let me restate it in a little more, with a little more frame and, of reference around it. Women can do anything they fucking want to do at any time. If there was a, a woman wanted to be in the NFL, a woman could be in the NFL. I'm not going to pull the whole argument of, oh, they're too weak or they're too frail or too this or too that or whatever. Um, this year is the year, uh, this Ju June is the Women's World Cup. And if you get a chance to watch it, you have to watch it. And remember this, and I've said it before on the show. Um, the United States team did quite well in the last men's World Cup. We did much better than we should have done. We, we showed a lot of pluck and a lot of heart, and there were heroes. The women's uh, World Cup team has a championship, not the, not the men's, the, the women's. So, yes, we do have a World Cup championship, won by women. And Landon Donovan is not the top goal scorer of all time in international matches. There are women that have hundreds more goals than him. So let's stop saying that football as a sport is a man's thing and that and I, it, it, after I said it, I realized how stupid I sounded and how provincial and parochial. And there are, are, are young women playing football in every level uh, up through high school, are there not? And now in the United States on teams with men, with boys. Uh, so why shouldn't they do whatever they fucking want to do? The idea that there hasn't been any women officials is just purely sexism. But then the NFL is not the most enlightened group of fucking... You can be a serial rapist in the NFL for years and they look the other fucking way. They really don't give a shit. I know, patriots. Yes, I understand you did quite well last year. Yeah, Tom Brady. My hero. How pregnant was Bridget when, she, when he left her? Anyway. Oh. Oh, she, the kid was four. Look, you know, you get tired of one great-looking chick and you want to... Uh, leave him alone. Now, see, now it starts. See, now, this is where the Boston thing kicks in. You just yelled out, how many Super Bowls do you want him to win? I'm a San Francisco fan. None is how many I want him to win. None. I want him to give back all the rings he has. <laughs> I know, honey. I know, I know. Yeah, right, right. You, you watched the baseball last year, right? I did. Yeah. So... There's, there's nothing more illuminating than watching two men argue over corporate entertainment entities. And I say NBC's a better network than CBS! The next, I, I didn't really want to stop the show so that you could fucking chime in, okay, Daniel Moynihan? Take a fucking seat for a second. Get your own fucking podcast. And call it lobsters or whatever. <laughs> Park your mouth in the Harvard yard. The next Kathleen Hanna may be a young girl in a Boston bedroom creating feminist art by herself, fearful that she has no community to belong to. Therefore, I, Martin J. Walsh, mayor of the city of Boston, do hereby proclaim April 9th to be Riot Girl Day in the city of Boston to commemorate, celebrate, and actively promote the cultural significance of Riot Girl culture and to inspire girls everywhere to shake up the status quo and create 
blah. Uh, this proclamation inspired by and adapted from Kathleen Hanna's Riot Girl Manifesto. Well done, him. Well done, the man. There's also an interview on, on, on Vanya Land. If you want to go on and read her interview with uh, her, it's very good. Uh, she talks about uh, you know, doing the shows and how they used to write slot on their chest and, and, and all the things they did and how the guys came out there. And then this one's hilarious here. Um, and, and then when guys yell out sexist shit in the show, uh, like they yell, uh, show us your tits or whatever. And she said she used to get really mad and leave the stage. And then she realized that there needs to be a dialogue because when someone yells some sexist shit out, uh, it just reveals to everyone how sexist they are. And then we all get to fucking process that. At least if you don't know any better and call it, it out and someone calls you back on it. I hate to sound like a total old fart, but it's like teaching moment. Without people being willing to say what they think, there's no conversation. And the interviewer says, does that hold true for men's rights activists? And then Kathleen says, I hate reading that crap. There are no such thing as men's rights. Men have all the rights. I've said it before on the show and I'll say it again. I, I, I put a thing about women's rights on Twitter once and the first tweet I got back was, what about men's rights? And it was from a woman. And it was like, we have all the rights. Yeah, we, exactly. We wrote them. We wrote the Constitution. We wrote everything. Uh, we write a lot of the laws. Um, there are only, what, 20% of the women in, in this Congress are, you know, are women. So we got, got a lot of rights. We're, we're doing okay. As Paul Tompkins used to say, I'm a white guy, and it is sweet. <laughs> This is from The Guardian, UK. Chris Rock documents series of detainments by police. You, you should go on and look at this on The Guardian newspaper. The actor and comedian Chris Rock's posted the third in a series of Instagrams in recent weeks showing him being pulled over by the police. It's unclear what he was stopped for, but by posting the images, Rock is highlighting the tendency for black drivers to be detained. A Justice Department statistics released last year found that substantially more black drivers than whites were stopped. Tell <laughs> Surprise! Stop the fucking presses. Uh, driving while black has been used to describe the phenomenon, blah, blah, blah. The two most recent uh, uh, stopped by the cops. Wish me luck, he wrote. That was on April 18th uh, last year. Uh, Rock re- referenced the phenomenon in his Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. They were pulled over in a Lamborghini. He was with Jerry Seinfeld. It'd be such a better episode if he pulled me to the side and beat the shit out of me, don't you think? <laughs> now, here's the crazy thing. If you weren't here, I'd be scared. That's what Chris Rock says. He's in a car with Jerry Seinfeld in a Lamborghini. I'm famous. Still black. Right now I'm looking for my license. Uh, the comedians addressed race issues in his stand-up sets. Yes, it's a British paper. Uh, and then he said earlier in the Hollywood Reporter this year, how many black men have you met working in Hollywood? They don't really hire black men. A black man with bass in his voice and maybe a little hint of face hair, not going to happen. It is what it is. I'm a guy who's accepted it all. Isaiah Washington responded to Chris Rock's Instagram with a tweet. I sold my $90,000 Mercedes G500 and bought a number three Prius because I got tired of being pulled over by the police. Uh, Later expanded on the comments with Don Lemon. Don Lemon, oh golly. (laughs) CNN, what are you going to do? It's like watching news that's made by kindergartners and shit. (laughs) Between Don Lemon and Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper and Jesus Christ, CNN. Holy cow. Uh, he added black Americans uh, face serious and ongoing prejudice we have to survive under extreme circumstances for those practicing white supremacy they're at war they're on the hunt we have to go about the business of having serious conversations about how we survive Um, now you know what happened this week with Walter Scott uh, in um, uh, South Carolina 
It was a, t- a terrible incident. And there's a couple of articles here. This is from Think Progress. Uh, my wife sent me this. Everything the police said about Walter Scott's death before a video showed what really happened. Well, as you know, um, a, a, a very brave Dominican uh, man came forward, Mr. Fredden, uh, who, who had shot that video of the cop. Um, putting, if you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. Um, a cop puts a bunch of rounds into um, Walter Scott, and uh, then they walk over and handcuff him and tell him to put his hands up. <clears throat> In any case, before the video was released, because uh, what happened was several days ago, between the time he was shot and killed, Scott, early Saturday morning, and when charges were filed, uh, Officer Slager, who's now under up on murder charges, using... Hey! Easy. Using the police department and his attorney, were able to provide his version of the events. He appeared well on his way to avoiding charges and pinning the blame on Scott. Then the video by an anonymous bystander. It's not an anonymous bystander. It's Fadin Santana. Santana. Uh, he gave a, basically a bullshit story, and they were going around uh, with it until uh, that came through. Now, Santana's come forward. Here's what's going here. Uh, basically, he said, when confronted, Officer Slager reached for his taser. And a struggle ensued. The driver tried to overpower Officer Slager in an effort to take his taser. Seconds later, he radioed the suspect, rested control of his device. Even with the taser's prongs deployed, the device can be used as a sun gun. Slager felt threatened and reached for his department issue fired arm and fired his weapon. Well, if you've seen the video, that's not at all what happens. Um, Mr. Scott runs away, and Officer Slager puts many rounds into him quite calmly. In the video, if the video had not surfaced, that's where the story might have ended. This is the part I wanted to get to. A study by the state, and that's the state of South Carolina, found that in the police in South Carolina have fired their weapons at 209 suspects in the past five years, but none were convicted. Not one policeman was charged at all for firing at suspects. We ruled all of the shootings were justified, and we looked at dozens and dozens of them, one former prosecutor told the state. A New York man who filmed the deadly chokehold uh, of um, Eric Garner is, is, has been arrested on a weapons charge this week, and he's in fear of his life for putting that video forward. Uh, Santana is actually afraid as well. His initial fears about retribution may not have been unwarranted. The video is the latest in a series of unsettling clips that have depicted police officers killing or injuring unarmed black men in recent years. Behind those cameras, people behind those cameras have lived to regret the attention and sometimes danger. Uh, that comes with involving themselves in such high-profile cases. Um, the guy who took the Rodney King uh, video years ago, Ramsey Orta, his marriage was broken up, and he was threatened constantly after he did it because he dared to fucking release that video and show the cops beating the living shit out of Rodney King. Um, it's a terrible situation and uh, one that we need to talk about. As you know, a Boston police officer was shot uh, recently uh, by a gang member, and that was on video as well. Now, the police shot that gang member down, but that gang member didn't shoot him. That one was uh, a little more justified, I think you might say, uh, to split hairs and infinitives than Michael Brown, Eric Garner, or what happened with Walter Scott. With Walter Scott, there is incontrovertible video evidence that we can all see with our own eyes of what happened there. Now, what needs to happen is this. Um, the Justice Department needs to do something. You read, and we read it on the show, uh, what happened with Ferguson uh, and, and the, uh, the DOJ report that said that basically um, a giant white police department, a giant white uh, community uh, a city council mayor of Ferguson, Missouri, was using the black community basically as a... A, a, a money bank uh, to, to find them and to, 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 to over uh, uh, to abuse them financially uh, to take money from them uh, but further than that 
Doesn't it just have to stop? Don't we have to, as a country, demand that this stop right now? That we can't have this much of the population in fear of their lives for being shot for the smallest infraction simply because it never gets prosecuted. And the idea that if this police officer had been wearing a body camera that he wouldn't have turned it off before he fucking did his deed. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know what I'm getting at here. Um, the Department of Justice, the federal government, needs to step in at this point and demand that we do something about the police, the rampant, wild police violence in this country. The only time I'm in favor of this kind of police violence is the next time um, Shearson Lehman and AIG and Bank of America and all of the Wall Street uh, companies that perform all of the debauchery and horrible malfeasance that they do, the next time that they ruin the economy of the world uh, with their greed and avarice, then I say we let the police loose on them and see if they fucking like it. Because they're not in danger of that ever. Because no one's been tried or put in jail. Not one person. I went to jury duty last year in Los Angeles. And the person that they were trying was um, a, a, a ghetto youth who had uh, heisted a convenience store. Uh, I was dismissed from the jury. But uh, all I could think of was all the time and money they were spent putting this guy behind bars who was 20-something and had a crappy public defender defending him because he'd, he'd uh, heisted a, a convenience store, whereas people who steal billions of dollars um, never, ever face any ramifications or charges for anything they do. Uh, and that's the inequity of what's going on in this country, and that's the inequality of it. And we can't have... 10 to 15% of the population living in complete fear all the time that if they get pulled over for a routine traffic stop or they get pulled over for, what was it, a taillight that Walter Scott was pulled over for? And then because he hadn't paid some back uh, child support, he ran away and was gunned down summarily. Um, this is the first time that someone's been charged for murder. You notice the cop that killed Eric Garner wasn't. Um, Michael Brown, Darren Wilson was, I think, made a half a million dollars off the deal, basically. Um, it, it's unfair and it's unjust. And when I say that uh, slavery still goes on in this country, that's a part of it. What happened after slavery was that the South had Reconstruction, and then they had what they called slave patrols, which was white guys who'd go out and ride around looking for errant black people to kill and hang and lynch and shit like that. This is the modern version of lynching. Instead of pulling black people out and lynching them like white people used to do, we simply use the police as our tool. And when I say we, I mean the government and the corporations use the police as their tool to keep black people down and suppress them by shooting them and putting them in prison all the time for shit that there's no mention for. Uh, I, I don't want to go into the good cop, bad cop thing and, and that black people are criminals and all that bullshit. You know the fucking argument. It's all nonsense. There's good and bad people in every line of fucking work. It's not a matter of if people are good or bad. It's an institution that carries on supporting injustice when their very job is to support justice. And an institution that preys upon the poor and the underclass and lets the rich go scot-fucking-free. The next time you see someone like Robert Durst tried and executed, then you can tell me the death penalty is an effective thing. You know who Robert Durst is, right? The millionaire... He probably killed his first wife. He definitely dismembered his friend in Texas. Uh, he's, he's finally been extradited, and now he's in jail. Um, but because he's a million zillionaire, um, he's been able to run kind of wild and free and do whatever the fuck he wants. Um, and that's what rich people do. As Peter Cook, the immortal comedian, once said, there are many good laws for the rich, not so many for the poor. 
let's see here. We'll skip that one and a couple of obituaries, and then we're going to fuck off into this fucking good night. I want to thank you all very much for coming out tonight. I also want to thank you all for the uh, amazing presence. The vodka, the books, the gift of drugs. Thank you for that. You know who you are. Uh, we'll be in uh, Boston this week. Oh, here we are. Uh, I'm going to be doing stand-up all this weekend here as well. And join me, won't you? The show will be different. I have a new set. Uh, we have a new album coming out in summer. I, I don't have a name for it yet. We keep naming it every two seconds. Um, but I have a book coming out on May 5th called The Smartest Book in the World. You can pre-order it if you like on my website. Sadly, I won't be coming to Boston on the book tour, but I will be in uh, uh, New York, Brooklyn, uh, Philly, Chicago, Portland, San Diego, Los Angeles, and Seattle. Uh, we'll try to get back here to Boston to do it. This happened a little... If it was two weeks from now, I'd have to... Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't ask you for money for uh, many things. Uh, I don't ask you to... Oh, obviously, you paid to get me here tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, but I don't ask for money for, to download the show. Uh, the Greg Proofs Film Club and the Smartest Man in the World podcast will remain free with a minimum of advertising as long as I am alive. Um, but if you want to buy the book, that would be really nice. Uh, and what a beautiful way to say that you love me. We'll be in uh, Denver uh, uh, the 23rd through the... No, we won't. That's wrong. It'll be, May, it'll be April 22nd through the 25th in Denver at the Comedy Works. Uh, you can go to Colorado and you can buy marijuana at any number of places simply by showing your identification. In Washington State, you can buy an ounce of marijuana as a grown-up adult. There's nothing that wouldn't improve Massachusetts more than a few dispensaries. Imagine how much more fun Faneuil Hall would be. I mean, you can get chowder and all that shit. Couple quick bits and then we'll go. Stan Freeberg, uh, Stan Freeberg passed this week. Yeah. Stan Freeberg was a marvelous comedian. He also did a lot of advertising. Um, uh, he, was, uh, he did the voice of many cartoons. Uh, I grew up listening to Stan Freeberg on a, a lot of different comedy shows in the Bay Area. You, if you remember the Dr. Demeno show, uh, you know that uh, Stan Freeberg was always played on Dr. Demeno. If you ever saw Mad Men, they do one of his riffs on the show at John and Marsha. Uh, it was a parody of a 50 soap opera. With the only two words in the whole uh, sketch are John, Marsha. John, John, John. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, John. Marsha. It's fantastic. He did a lot of parody records, uh, and everyone from Weird Al uh, to Harry Shearer, a million comedians uh, owe everything to Stan Freeberg. His enormous wit, his intelligence, and his um, uh, sardonic vibe uh, really go along with me with Tom Lair and some of the other great satirists of the 50s. Um, he really hated advertising because he thought it was stupid. And so he went into advertising and made a lot of funnier uh, ads. Uh, the Beatles, uh, Paul McCartney said that uh, they loved his records as well, uh, Stan Freeberg's records, because he did musical parodies. Uh, the Banana Boat Song is one that's famous, The Yellow Rose of Texas, um, Old Man River, whatnot. Uh, this will give you an idea of what a renegade he was in the advertising world, even though he ran an ad agency for some 40 or 50 years. He's in the Radio Hall of Fame. He was never elected to the Advertising Hall of Fame. They don't like to be made fun of. <laughs> And as Bill Hicks once said, and it's so true, if you're in advertising, kill yourself. No, I'm serious. Just kill yourself. No, I'm serious. Just kill yourself. No, I'm serious. Just kill yourself. There's nothing more insidious than advertising. Weren't you just reading an ad for your own show? My show's free. 
uh, Lon Simmons passed away. He was the Giants announcer for a- uh, ages and ages. He was the Giants announcer when I was little. Uh, he announced uh, loads and loads of Willie Mays, Willie McCovey's home runs. He also never spoke, and that was what made him a great announcer. Uh, he was the A's announcer for ages two and the 49ers as well. This is how Lon Simmons would do. Uh, you'd hear the crowd in the background, like, peanuts, peanuts, popcorn, peanuts, popcorn. McCormick looks in. Peanuts, popcorn, ball two. Popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. Ball three. He didn't fill the time. He didn't feel the need to fill the time. He spoke when it was necessary. And his home run call was, tell it goodbye. I would like to tell Lon Simmons goodbye. Minnie Minoso passed away. Minnie Minoso was the first great Latin player. Uh, He came up in the 50s before uh, Roberto Clemente. Uh, he debuted with Cleveland and then he went to the White Sox. He uh, uh, homered in his first plate appearance against Vic Rashi. The first black Latino star was a Havana native who spent most of his career in left field. One of two players to appear in a major league deca- uh, game in five decades. Final hit in 1976 at 53. And in his last game in 1980. They tried to get him in the Hall of Fame. His nickname was the Cuban Comet. He could run. He could hit. He led the league in triples. Manny Minosa was a bad-ass motherfucker. Tony Perez, who's also from Cuba, said, Every young player in Cuba wanted to be like Manny Minoso, and I was one of them. He appeared in just nine games in his first stint with the Indians, da-da-da-da. Um, Ernie Banks passed away, and Ernie Banks was known as Mr. Cub. Manny Minosa was known as Mr. White Sox, and in one year, we've lost Mr. Cub and Mr. White Sox. They're both swirling in the heavens tonight. Stan Freeberg is in the heavens producing a hilarious comedy album. Um, someone is in a hospital right now. And she's a divine artist. Her name is Joni Mitchell. I don't think... I'm hoping nothing happens to her. When I was in high school, uh, she was enormously popular. I had uh, the inside cover of Hijara, her album, on the wall over my bed. She, was a, she is a sophisticated and wonderful uh, musician, artist, rock star, poet. And um, I think as time wears on... The people that she's influenced are amazing. For instance, Prince, I would say, would think that uh, is an enormous fan of Joni Mitchell. Um, for women um, in, in in her era, there was Joan Baez and 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 other uh, other women artists. Obviously, there's Carly Simon and Carol King and Carla Bonoff and, and Rita Coolidge. Joni Mitchell did it her fucking way. She sang her in her own key. She tuned the guitar her own way. She sang her own lyrics. She never sold "Come and Get It." That was never her shtick. It was never "Oops, I did it again. Come and get me." And she like that. Joni Mitchell fucking did it her way. She smoked and drank just like the boys. She fucking plays it her way. And not only that, she's a wonderful poet and divine artist. Um, She's in hospital now. They say she's doing well. Um, I wish her nothing but love and luck. We've talked about her on the show before. Uh, When we did a show from Halifax a couple years ago, I read the lyrics to uh, one of her songs called Coyote. Um, I think she's very moving and and as she progressed as an artist and as uh, punk came along and she, her kind of um, pop music wasn't as popular on the radio, she became more of a jazz artist and a painter. Um, there's nothing Jenny Mitchell couldn't do and she doesn't quite get the credit uh, that she deserves in my estimation. In any case, uh, we wish you very well, uh, Jenny Mitchell, and we want you well and we want you back on the street smoking and drinking. Tony, if you will, you've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming to the show this evening. Every page that you turn be a satchel page. And every bell that rings for you will be a cool Papa Bell. 
And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Barry bonds. We leave you with Johnny Mitchell. Good night, everyone. I wish you nothing but love.